Okay, well, anyway, we're going to do this. Try to encourage you. All right, let's get to be with you guys this morning. I have a few things to share. We're at the last part of our study of uh, Galatians right now, the end of Galatians chapter 3. We've been uh, looking at this thing where Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he wants them to understand the gospel. Right? He wants the church that he's writing to to know what the gospel is. And in that process, uh, he, there's this one thread that he wants everyone to see for sure, and that's that we don't earn our relationship with God. So the gospel is just really one thing. Okay? The gospel is the story of man's reconciliation with God. And that's what the gospel is. If anybody ever asks you what it is, you're like, what was the gospel? I can't remember exactly... It is the story of man's reconciliation with God, or God's reconciliation with man. That's what the gospel is. The thing about the gospel is that that's, the, that's sort of like the title of the story. It can be told all kinds of different ways. All, every one of us who has been reconciled to God through faith has a different story, and all of them are the gospel at work. And the, the items that are a part of the gospel are all... Uh, they're concrete things, but they get told different ways, and you can look at them different ways. But it's always the same thing. It's always about a broken relationship that was made right by the Son of God, by His sacrifice to bring us into relationship. And the only way we get into that relationship is by faith. Those are the details that get told a million different ways. And what I want to, as this is the last message on Galatians, I just want to encourage you: if you're somebody who has been hearing this, or God's been working in your heart, or your mind, you've just been thinking, all right, this is starting to make sense. This makes sense. I, God is drawing me into that relationship. I understand this. I think today, especially with communion and all, this is a good day to step across that line of faith. So I just want to encourage you, if you're in that space, be talking to God about whether it is time for you to step across that line of faith. Uh, and here's, here's where Paul's going to go today. He's going to, he's going to, this is such a great little uh, picture of the gospel. He's going to say that before we know Jesus, it is just going to be frustration in life. Before Jesus, we are going to be frustrated. And after Jesus, after faith in Jesus, we come into something that I think he describes as family. In, the, in a new sense of satisfaction. That there's this transfer from frustration, beating our head against the wall, to faith, into a family. Into, in fact, something beyond family, and that is sonship or daughterhood. If you're a believer uh, in here, if you've already crossed that line of faith, and that's a lot of you in this room, uh, I want to encourage you as we talk through this to be thinking and talking to God about what it means that you have that relationship with Him, that sonship or daughtership. What does that mean? Not what can you do to please Him, but what does it mean just to be in that space, to know Him like that, to be in that place? Just meditate on that. Think through that and listen to how Paul describes what that looks like. It's really an amazing passage. Uh, There's some beautiful stuff in here. Let's read it. Uh, This is in... The end of chapter 3, uh, verse 23. <coughs> now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. 
we are imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. This, is, this verse is really pretty amazing. 26. For in Christ Jesus you are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ and put on Christ, and there in his family is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Pretty, pretty powerful verse. It sums up a whole lot of stuff. And three things that I want to take through as we kind of unfold how Paul's reasoning in this. And the first one is this idea of captivity, frustration in captivity. The second one is sonship. And the third one is family. So captivity, sonship, and family. Kind of see how we progress from one to the other. If in fact we have crossed out on your face. So let's talk about captivity for a second. I just want to read again uh, 23 and 24. Listen for that idea in here. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So, when I read that, I thought about what was Paul trying to say. Uh, he's, he's describing this, this position that we're in uh, that is captivity. You know, he uses those words. We're imprisoned. And, and being in that place is a very frustrating position to be in. You're being blocked from something that you would prefer to have. Right? That makes sense. That's what he's describing here. He calls it uh, he, he says, captive, you're in prison, you're guarded, and later in, in the passage he's going to say that you're enslaved. So a whole bunch of ideas of, of not having freedom. But uh, what I want to say about that is that the law is showing us really two things. This law that is this guardian or this barrier. One thing that it's showing us is that there, it's telling us what I just said a minute ago, there is a barrier in relationship between us and God. The law, this thing that God provides, shows us that we can't be in relationship with Him because relationship is broken. Okay, so that's what the law does. It's this barrier, and we see it, whether we recognize it as such or not. That's that's the thing that we're bumping up against. But there's another thing that it does: is that it tells us that there is a, a place where we can go beyond. When we go beyond it, there is danger. There, there are things that destroy us. So it is for our good. So there's at least two aspects of the law in this sense. There's a broken relationship, and it provides a barrier to say, hey, be careful, because you don't want to go there. And that becomes that that wall. When we cross it, there are consequences. When we go through those bars, if you will. See, um, we are all seeking the goodness of, they can only be found in relationship with God. Before we're in faith, before we've crossed the line of faith, and even after, we're always seeking this goodness. And uh, this is something that has been uh, uh, 
just resonating with me a lot lately. Reading words in this book, this, this letter about righteousness and stuff. What does that mean to somebody in the 21st century? Right? Righteousness is that thing that we're seeking that is good, that's, that we know is there and we're trying to get a hold of it. And if you're already a Christian and you're seeking for those things because you're not filled up, then there's a problem with your sense of sonship or daughterhood. And if you're not across the line of faith yet, then there's a good reason that you can't satisfy yourself. Because you can only be satisfied the way we're created through the right relationship with the King of Kings, with the Father. So when I grew up, we didn't get, there was, well, I mean, the internet had been invented when I grew up. But we got catalogs. Only a few of you can relate to me. And so the Sears catalog would come in as a kid, you know, you'd flip through there and you go, definitely want that, definitely want that, dog ear that, you know. So about Christmas season, you know, this massive book would come. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you're young in here, you don't know what that is. <laughs> Um, it's like all the catalogs you ever got from those smaller companies all piled into one. And so I'd find things that I want, and I would, being pretty self-motivated, I would start to earn money to get what I want. And sometimes my parents would partner with me, and I would, you know, you know, all the things that I earned, like, so focused on, I mean, they might be in a box at my parents' house. But they were going to make my life right. The thing is, we, we never we never learn we, as grown-ups. Maybe I'm just talking to a few of you. We never learn. We always think that this next thing is going to do it. Here, here's something else that I used to do. I used to love to collect the box tops to cereal so I could send away for this incredible thing that was in the morning. <laughs> it was so good. So I eat like 300 boxes of some sugar sailor. And I'd send this thing in, and they were sure that I had told, you know, today... You know, it's not good health-wise, but um, and then I would get this like microscopic cheap plastic car. This just broke the first minute. I'm like, oh my god! It was always all this work for something completely disappointing. Yeah, it is. Adults always speak to you guys, and we just are constantly seeking for the most beautiful, perfect life. This is what we do. We do it with our eyes. We do it with the things that we want. We think, if I get this next vehicle, or this new method of coming down the mountain, or this new method of going up the mountain, whatever it is, that somehow things are going to be right. For me, or just a little bit better. And you know, all that stuff's going to be broken in the garage. <laughs> but we, but here's, the, here's this foundational principle, y'all. We are always seeking for something better. God has made us that way. It's totally natural that we would do that. It's okay. It's right. But the thing is, there's only one place to find that, and then add, then those other things can, can be added onto it. All of these things that we seek out, they're all shadows, or at best, or perversions of the beautiful things that God has in the right relationship with Him. Um, so I had to really ask myself, you know, when Paul describes the law, is the law, law really just a bully? You know, it is God think that just a bully. Here's the things you can't do. Here's why you, you know, it's, it sounds like when Paul starts to write this, he writes all these things about being a slave, being a captive, being behind bars. Not, that doesn't sound so pleasant. The fact, you know, the fact is that we put ourselves there. 
But I wonder if you, if you think with me about the prodigal son story. Remember Jesus tells the story? It's in Luke 15. Did you ever want just good stuff to read? Luke 15. Just read through that. But in the story of the prodigal son, here's this young man who, who leaves his, his father, right? And he takes all of what he thinks is the best, and he goes to get all of the best things that he can. All the things we still think of today. He's going to party, he's going to buy good things, he's going to have stuff with his friends, and there's going to be women. And he does all of that stuff trying to find goodness. And he ends up completely broke and absolutely miserable. And so he's in that place, and he wakes up one morning, absolutely miserable, and says, You know what? There's a relationship back with my father. It was right. And all these things didn't matter in his face. Even his servants who don't have anything have, have a better situation than that. And so he turns and he, he goes home. Uh, and when, when he comes, well, we'll talk about what happens when he gets home. But there is this frustration that he experienced when he sought the things that would please him, that he thought were right. And it never worked. And that's just, Jesus is describing the story that we live all the time. We will never be satisfied. Never be satisfied outside of a relationship. We'll always be searching. So that's that side of frustration. Now let's switch over and talk about the sonship idea. And let me, let me say just right off the top. When I say sonship, uh, to me that makes sense because I'm a guy. But to you women, it's really important that... that the idea of daughterhood is included in that too, because a little bit later in this passage, Paul's going to say, hey, it's not, sonship is a, is a, a right of heirship. It doesn't have to do with being male. Because right? he says down lower, you may have heard me read it, he says, there's not slaves or free, there's not male or female. So when I talk about sonship, this is not the exclusion of being a woman, but being in a relationship with God or experiencing daughterhood. This is the word that Paul uses in generic terms to suffice this whole idea of what sonship means. Because when a woman then heard sonship, and then she was included in sonship, that was an amazing thing. Because they had a really skewed view of sonship back then. Now we have a new view of sonship in, in the is that is the sonship under God through Jesus Christ. So let me just say that. As I say the word sonship, I'm always speaking of daughter as well. This is just the word that he uses. But look at verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I love that, that thing where there was once this thing going on. It wasn't great. And then that great word in the very first word of, of verse 25, but. But something happened. And that was through faith. And now there is this thing that's sonship. See, outside the bars, the prison, the guardian that we're experiencing before we know Jesus, that thing that's out there that's really right is sonship. That's the thing that's waiting. But here's the thing for, for a lot of us. Sonship is something we have a broken sense of because of fatherhood situations that we grew up with. So when we talk about sonship and fatherhood, it can be kind of awkward because we're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. 
Now, don't get me wrong. We should blame our parents. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure my kids will. Your kids will. But I remember being in a counseling session, a marriage counseling session, Claire and I, trying to work through some tough stuff in our relationship. And we're sitting there, and of course, you know, as always must happen, parental relationships come up in the counseling session. I'm like, yes. Now I know how I'm going to get this off my back and point at my dad. You know <laughs> My dad was, was a great But there were still things, you know, that I prefer were a different way. Well, uh, something happened in that event, in that session that surprised me. Uh, it changed things for me because instead of finding a reason to blame my father for different things, which I thought was where we were headed, because remember, guys in counseling, we're always looking to relieve the blame. <laughs> That's not what happens in counseling. But what I found out, what I discovered was an understanding from and so rather than blame him, it was a completely different thing of understanding and love and appreciation for my dad in all of who he is and was. That's that earthly model. But this is not that. That's just a glimpse. That's a shadow. It's for many of us, a perverted shadow of what real fatherhood is like, what real sonship is like. This fatherhood, this uh, and some shit that I'm talking about is the ultimate relationship, the ultimately fulfilling relationship. And, and Paul describes it in a couple different ways. I think it's, it's pretty cool. Um, one of them, I think, comes from this idea of the prodigal son, because he knows this story. He's heard this, this teaching from Jesus. Because what happens when the son comes home? When the father sees the son? Anybody remember what the father does? So that sounds great to I mean, you know, we would obviously in our culture we might run to you know run down stuff. Not in that culture. Especially a rebellious son. Jesus tells us the story of the father who runs to meet the son with whom relationship is utterly destroyed from the perspective of that culture. And what Paul tells us in that verse that I just read is that the only thing between the only hurdle for us to be in that place where the Father is running to us is faith. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to be right. You just step across the line of faith. That's an amazing thing. And for him to say it in that culture was amazing as well. So there's a sense of Sonship and fatherhood that brings in this idea of the father running to meet the son. But there's another piece from Luke 15, just a series of stories that Jesus tells to illustrate the father's love for us. You remember the story of the shepherd, right? This is the one you've heard a million times. He leaves the flock and he goes after the one. And I think Paul has that in mind. If you look up to verse to chapter four, verse four, Paul's still on the same theme. When the fullness of time had come, when it was right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, not, not only did God run to find us, but he sent his son to get us. Do you see that this, there's, there's much more to the gospel story as we start to paint these different parts of the picture? Because Jesus actually puts on skin like the shepherd, goes into the, out into the wilderness, into danger. In fact, the danger that Jesus went into was knowing, not knowing just that it was dangerous, but that he would suffer for us. That God would actually give up his own son so that we could be his firstborn son, so that we could be his second. That's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. That's what is told uh, seamlessly through the scripture. And then in verse 7 of chapter 4, it says that we are made sons and heirs. Read, read that in verse 7. You are no longer a slave, no longer imprisoned, but you're a son, and if you're a son, then you're an heir. We have all the rights of sonship. And that's the place where I just want to encourage you if you're a believer to stop in that spot. Not like, okay, well, how can I earn his pleasure? How do I do the next right thing or whatever? That's all great. But what this is is to sit and just meditate in the place of your mind. What that is, that sonship that will go so far for us. Look at uh, 1 John 3. Put this up on the board here. See what, this is the, the idea of sonship runs through the scripture. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. But here's the funny thing about us. We, want, we actually want something less than the sonship. Okay, just like um, the prodigal son, he goes to his father, and, and what does he say? He says, hey, maybe if you just make life on your service. Just, just you know, Already, he isn't even back in a relationship yet, and he's already putting himself in a lower relationship. He says, let me just be a servant. The father says, you know, no. Um, Keller, Keller writes in a Facebook, he says, we have the status of a son, but we want a boss and employee relationship. That's what we want. We just want that because we can perform. We can get stuff. We can add stuff to our resume. We want to raise this up and be something special. Uh, another story that, that Keller tells, I think it's pretty good, is so, uh, Alexander the Great, at one point, he's in the midst of his glorious power. A, uh, one of his generals comes and says to him in, in the court, you know, in his you know, sort of uh, military setting, he says, hey, uh, probably not using these words, but I'm ha- I have a daughter who's getting married, and I don't have enough money to make this really incredible, but I want the most incredible way for her ever, so... Will you give me this amazing amount, un, just unreasonable amount of money, to provide this wedding? And so, Alexander the Great's puzzled for a moment, and then he says, of course. Go to my treasurer, tell him how much I said, and take the money, and make it happen. And the people around the Alexander the Great are looking going, okay, you got to explain to us why you did that. He said, you know what I realized? And that guy came up to me and said that. What he was saying was, you are fabulously wealthy and powerful, and you are amazingly generous, and I'm calling on these things. And so he provided, because that's the reputation, that's who he was. 
And it's the same thing with God. We, we think, there's no way that I can truly be a son because of what I've done, or who I am, or the world that I live in, or nothing ever seems to go right. It always ends up, no matter where I move, whatever I do, nothing gets right. But, see, no. by faith, you're a son. It's just, you're adopted and you're there. And he, he's coming out to you and bringing you in. One more thing about that idea is this idea that it's, Paul says it's, not only do we have this legal right of sonship and his heirs, but he says the Holy Spirit goes out and fills you so that you know the feeling, the sense of being of being within the family of God. And that's a pretty amazing thing. So it's not just a legal transaction. There's something where God impacts your heart with the Spirit. If, if you've been a parent, or maybe you've seen this happen, whether you are or not, it's pretty awesome when you have like a little four-year-old and you come home from work and the kid or kids are like, you know, they come running to you at the door and they hug you. That's a pretty awesome thing. We all, if you're a parent, you love that. Now let me tell you this, if you're not a parent, if God hasn't blessed you with kids, that's not on your radar, I will tell you this. That feeling is not enough to have a kid for. Fatherhood, sonship, daughterhood idea is that it's, it's 